Hello, I am Griselda Togobo and you are listening to In Conversation With. This is a Forward Ladies podcast where inspirational female leaders share practical and simple strategies to help you win in the world of work. Welcome everyone for joining us and a very special welcome to Uncans for making time for us today. I know you're pretty busy looking at your CV, your bio, and all the fantastic work you're involved in. I just wanted to say I'm really grateful that you made time for us today. And if you're joining us for the very first time, this is a leadership podcast where I have the opportunity to have conversations with really inspirational female leaders, people I admire and, and, and look up to, with the hope that they will share some of their nuggets and their practical advice and strategies so we can also go away and apply those same strategies to our own lives. So I had the privilege of being on a panel with Anne in December at a Westminster e-forum. And I think we both talked about leadership and progressing women within the tech sector. And, And I was so inspired by you. I went and looked at your bio and I thought, oh my God, is she even human? So I guess the first thing is, People on this call will be looking at you and thinking, oh my God, you know, how did you become you? How did you end up where you are as the executive chair of MasterCard? So if you can just give us a quick whistle stop story, that would be fantastic. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a long road. <laughs> I actually, you know, because I've been working over 40 years, but I began life as a research scientist for British Gas back in the 70s when I finished my master's degree. And I was designing experiments for physicists, chemists and engineers then. And while I was uh, in British Gas, I noticed that the cool part was actually working offshore so I decided I'd love to do that, and I became the first woman on the oil and gas rigs in Britain as head of offshore engineering planning for British Gas. And then the industry privatized, and I thought, what should I do? I could see that all of the people rising to the top of this company were financy types, and I thought maybe I should do an MBA. Um, so I, but then suddenly Citibank advertised in the Sunday Times and said they were looking for people from industry who had managed people to retrain as bankers in their, what they called mid-career, but that was in your 30s. And that's how I joined Citibank. And then I had 15 wonderful years as a banker, starting in investment banking, moving into payments. And I traveled all over the world and uh, ended up running operations and technology for the payment group and had sort of 6,000 people reporting to me from um, everywhere on the planet and uh, and led the Y2K efforts in 2000. And then I moved from Citibank to the big Dutch bank, ABN AMRO, and became head of the payment business there. And um, and subsequently, that was bought by Royal Bank of Scotland, which was when I left banking, joined restructuring, only to have Lehman collapse and yes. become the CEO of <laughs> Lehman Brothers Holding for Europe and into the Middle East and into Russia. And, uh, and then subsequent to that, I joined MasterCard, where I ran everything outside America for the first um, seven years here. I'm 10 years now. 
and um, that was wonderful. It's about 60% of the MasterCard franchise covering mm-hmm. over 200 countries. And, and then I, I got the role of executive vice chairman. So that was about three years ago. So congratulations. So I just love your accent because you still have your Northeast accent. And obviously you travel all over the world doing the work that you do. And I also know that you come from very humble beginnings. And, and part of, I guess, my question to you is, how do you find the aspiration to go for some of the roles that you've gone for? Because typically we find that when beginnings are very humble, we either tend to stay around where, you know, where we started off, but you've just gone off from Newcastle and you've gone global. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, you know, I, you're right. I, I lived in a two bedroom flat above my dad's little cobbler shop with my brother and sister um, sharing a room with them and my parents in the other room and the dog in the sitting room or most of the time in our room. And, um, I guess that it was a time back in the 60s that, you know, we had great access to education and uh, I, I won a scholarship to grammar school and then on to university. And my brother and sister did the same. We, are all, we all actually have maths degrees. We don't know where that came from because my mom and dad left school when they were 14, although my mom's 91 and can certainly calculate a few things today. So it's probably from her. <laughs> uh, but my dad was a typical northeastern man in very many respects um but he, but you know what he did say to me as a kid was that I could be anything I wanted to be and I remember being about 11 when the first man landed on the moon and and looking up and saying I think I'd like to be an astronaut and he said well of course you can be an astronaut <laughs> I would hate being an astronaut, by the way, because although I'm tiny enough to fit into a lunar module, I'm just five foot three and a half now, I would find it incredibly claustrophobic in there. But because I imagine the big open space of space rather than the enclosedness of a space capsule. But I've always been fascinated by science and um, always led to believe that I should just follow my dreams. So, so you've been on this journey from Newcastle and you, you manage um, teams in over 200 countries now. And my, I, I'm wondering when you start a new job and you interact with a new culture, you're, you're, you're asked to lead a new team in a new region. What's the first thing you do just to build rapport and, and get the, the team working together and believe in that you're actually the leader they should be listening to? Well, it's a very interesting question because when I um, took over the international business for MasterCard, I actually got on a plane and flew all around the world and met my people face to face. That was the first thing that was a natural thing for me to do. But of course, in COVID times, that's not things that we can do these days. Um, So what I've done in COVID time is I've um, I've become the lead non-executive director for the business group Bayes in the UK. And um, and so supporting the Secretary of State for Business, and I've had to uh, meet my uh, my fellow board directors virtually, and so a lot more time spent actually talking to each other on Zoom, um, sending each other WhatsApps, sharing things that you read, trying to get to know the people that way, 
So I, I would say you kind of over-network now to try yeah. and compensate for the fact that you can't meet people face-to-face. But, but that can also be quite draining because we've gone from having days where you travel in and out for meetings, so you have that downtime away from screens to having all meetings now online. I know things are changing and we're, we're, we're gradually going back to life as it was before. But how have you been managing this whole Groundhog Day every single day? Yeah, it's really hard and it's really tiring. I mean, I, you find uh, actually my eyesight deteriorated in the last year and I think it's because of staring at small yes. screens. Um, it is tiring. So what I do to switch off is uh, I have a little dog that I adopted during lockdown. Uh, lockdown. She's a sprocker spaniel. She needs to walk about 10 miles a day. Wow. So I get up in the morning, I walk her, I try and walk, go for a walk at lunchtime and I try another walk in the evening. And this is all downtime and thinking time. I mean, sometimes I'm on the telephone, but sometimes I just walk in the woods and try and think about things. Um, so I think you have to build things like this into your everyday life, don't you? Mm-hmm. And of course, as things have opened up a little bit more now, I love meeting family and friends and, you know, really really enjoying being with people sharing a meal with someone um it's it's a wonderful experience something we just took for granted but um we don't take it for granted anymore yes yes i think covid has changed all of us um you're either you miss people so much that you will be overcompensating for that and fearing that you're missing out or if you're introverted you might be more introverted and you know have social anxieties around going out to meet people so, so obviously, you, as somebody who is very skilled as a leader, and um, you've been doing it for a long time now, but I also suspect that you may have had periods where you doubted yourself when you did not always feel you, you had all the answers, and yet you, you moved yourself forward. And I'm really in, I'm interested in knowing how you navigate those periods of self-doubt. You're playing at the highest level every single day, and that must come with some some level of doubt self-doubt or even feeling like an imposter sometimes completely you know i think if you don't have imposter syndrome you must be somebody who has a fantastically ego you know egotistical picture of yourself that that's probably wrong um i think um i think one of the things about changing your role a lot is it teaches you humility and it also teaches you you must listen to your people because when you've changed role, um, say from an engineering to a banker, the people who work for you probably know much more about their subject than you do. So you've got to listen and learn um, and, and respect people's opinions. And actually what you find when you do that is the people who work for you actually love that. You know, I've never come across anyone who didn't want to tell me something so uh, so I've always used that and I, I think it's really important. So understanding what you don't know is the big journey, if yeah. you like, and always feeling that you don't know 90% of it is a good way to feel. Yes. And, and so then in terms of the decisions that you make as well, you're one person who is known for the quality of decisions you make. And, and just, mm-hmm. just now you talked about thinking time which is something that we women don't make enough time to do. People don't make enough time to think. But women, women tend to be so busy with all of life and trying to care for everybody else that we have less time to think. But I'm really interested in your 
how you, you, you approach your decision making, just to make sure that every time you, you do come to a conclusion and you do decide to take a step forward that you're, it might not, you might not have all the data, but you're, you're very confident in the direction that you're going. Well, it's interesting. I mean, when I was about 40, my boss at the time in Citibank said to me, you're so decisive, you need to slow down to speed up. And what he meant was, you know, you would give me a decision to make and I would just make it. And then um, some three or four steps later, I might have to reverse the first decision, which I always felt capable of doing. You know, I'm not one of these people who won't change direction if external factors dictate that I should. But um, but what he meant was make decisions the way that you play chess. So, you know, when you're making your opening move, you're thinking about three or four moves ahead. And that way, you know, you approach the future with more confidence because you've actually thought about the future and the consequences of the steps that you're taking down the road. And um, I thought that was absolutely fantastic advice. Yeah. And the other piece of advice is, of course, I've been in restructuring in the middle of a financial crisis. And one of my favorite quotes from Churchill was, you know, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> so I think that you've got to think about that. You know, you might be in a dark tunnel going in a certain direction and you don't really think you've seen the light yet. But the only thing you can do is keep going. Yes. So sometimes you just have to do that. So one of the things I also love about you, Anne, is that you're quite visible and active on social media. And I know a lot of leaders who are still quite resistant to the idea of being on social media because one, they, they don't know what to say. Two, they think it's a waste of time. Or three, they're just afraid of the backlash that comes from being very vocal about your opinions on social media. And I know that you, you've nailed that. <laughs> so can you just share how you managed to fit all that in so that we can, we can do the same as well? Well, I think social media is very important and it was important before COVID, but it's vital now, again, because it is a main way of communicating. I think you have to choose your platforms. Yeah. I quite like Twitter because people people can reply to you, but, you know, it's not quite the, um, the interactive platform. So I, I use Twitter and I use LinkedIn because I think LinkedIn is a very professional platform and you're reaching people in the business world with, you know, the same kind of ideas as you. I have an Instagram account, yes, uh, but I don't use it so much. Um, it's a bit more social and, um, and I use WhatsApp a lot, but again, that's, you know, just for family and friends to communicate. But I think social, I don't actually use Facebook as much. But so Twitter and LinkedIn are the main things that I, I do. And if I'm talking about something and I think it's relevant to both platforms and I'll try and link it on both platforms so that you, you know, you get your message out twice, if yeah. you like. And also I, I'm very focused on women's role in the business world. People know what I stand for. So I'm not tweeting about lots of different things. Occasionally I'll put some, because I'm, you know, involved in um, base for the government, I might tweet something in, in that sphere. Uh, but it will probably be about climate because I also am very interested in climate and women's role in climate. So it all connects up. So it's not some disparate thinking. 
and yeah. it's not sort of massively a, a social or personal thing. It's more business focused for me. But it's interesting because I have friends that are, you know, are even more prolific on Twitter and they're, they're much more personal in, in what they do. I think that's when you can attract a lot of, you know, difficult commentary when you do that. <laughs> yeah. So, so I've chosen not to do that. Fantastic. So you you have been um, you wear your hat on your sleeve when it comes to women's issues. Uh, you're part of the thirty percent club, and you're doing your bit to progress women within the workplace. And we all know there's the there's the societal bit and there's the cultural bit that organisations need to do. But I like to focus on the bit that we women can do ourselves, because ultimately, you know, when people don't have a stake in a in in, a, in the solution or or don't feel the pain of the problem, they are not always as incentivized to change the status quo. So I need to change things for myself because I want things to be better for me. And you've had the opportunity to lead to lead many women. What advice would you give um, to, to any woman on this call or somebody who is listening to the recording later on um, so they can position themselves to reach the very, the, the very, um, the ultimate goal for their career, whatever that is, whether it's on the board or heading a, a department? Well, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the last piece because I think you have to know what you want. You know, what is it that is your ultimate goal? What do you aspire to? Now, you don't necessarily have to start off at the age of 20 knowing that. I mean, you may not even know it at 40, but you sort of have to have a general idea of the direction you're going in. I mean, when I was in Citibank, when I was in British Gas and I decided to move to Citibank, it was because I could see that all the top jobs in the company weren't going to the engineers, they were going to the finance type. So I already had it in my mind that I would like to have a top job in the company, in a company. So I think that that's the kind of level of thinking that you, you need along the way. And then also is to ask for what you want. When I decided I wanted to go offshore, I just picked up the telephone to the guy who ran the offshore part of British Gas and said, hello, I'm an engineer up in the northeast. My name's Anne. Um, I'm the only woman scientist at this research station and I'd love to work offshore. And he said, <laughs> really? You know, kind of. And he said, well, you better get on the train and come down to London and discuss it with me. I think... These kind of things where you're not waiting for a job to be advertised yes. or anything like that, where you see something you want, you think about who can help you get there and you contact them because what's the worst that can happen? Somebody could say no, well, then you go a different route. So never be afraid to do that. There's very few jobs that I've actually applied for that are advertised. It's usually something that I've gone after or... You know, in later life, it's because a headhunter contacted me. And so, yeah, that's what I'd advise. And in terms of going for what you want, can we talk about money? Because, you know, the, the research just came out saying that women on FTSE 100 boards are paid 40% less than the male counterparts. You know, we know that there are structural problems around policies and remuneration and all that. But... When you've been in positions where you've been negotiating for your own salary, what, what tips do you have to share around that? Well, first of all, it's never easy. 
I mean, I absolutely hate asking for money. I really do. So I think that, first of all, you have to, you know, think about what level you're trying to attain. It's it's kind of easier if you go after the right level job, you know, and you're at a certain grade in the company to get paid what you think you deserve, right? And then it's um, it's more a case of making sure you're aware of what the compensation packages look like in your company for the level that you're at and having a realistic view of yourself in terms of what you think you're worth and having that discussion with your, your boss, really. And I, you know, I think that the board problem is that you don't have enough women chairs yeah. Because chair, chairs are paid much more than an ordinary board member in general. And you don't have enough women chairing the committees on the boards. So you've got women who join the boards and they're in an ordinary board position, but they're not being paid the extras for the more senior positions. Um, and that's what we've got to address next, basically. And, and so then back, back to the issue of pay and, and transparency around pay. So we, we deliver, I deliver leadership programs into some of our large FTSE 100 companies. And some of the challenges that women face around that is the lack of visibility and transparency of pay grades above yours. So you can certainly mm-hmm. see what everybody else is earning that you're managing, but then for the top job or the three, four, five grades above you, if you don't have that visibility, how can you negotiate for a salary that you don't know? Very difficult, you know. I mean, it's interest. It has been interesting for me because when I was in my previous role um, near the top, uh, you know, running international for the company, my salary and bonus were actually published in the annual report, and that does happen right at the top of the company, so yeah. that you can see there is, you know, in many companies when you get to the very top jobs, there is transparency. So that's one thing. Once you get there, you know, uh, it's a different situation. I actually think it's worthwhile having a conversation with HR to understand, you know, if you're in a grade level in a certain company, usually, you know, there's a span, you know, on the salary line mm-hmm. of what that span is. And then um, usually for bonus payments, it depends on your performance, of course, but say in in general, they'll be ranking performance from things like outstanding to yeah. exceed expectations to expectations to blah, blah, blah. And you, and quite often companies now have a formulaic base. So maybe if you exceeded expectations, you'd be paid 120% of your bonus. If you meet expectations, you'd be paid 100% of your bonus, expected bonus and so on. So I think in today's world, there should be, you know, there should be a way providing you understand the base and the bonus calculations. And you would do, especially if you're a, a line manager, even if you're a junior line manager, you'll be doing this for your own people. Yes. So it'll be transparent to you what the, you know, what the, calculation points are in the company and all you have to do is mathematically apply it to yourself <laughs> and say, okay so you know you could you could mathematically apply it to yourself and say oh look I'm in the bottom quartile for instance of my level right yeah. and I've got an exceeds expectations and therefore my bonus should look like this and uh, and you could say well I shouldn't be in the bottom quartile I should be above 
halfway or should, you know, and this is where you go in and you negotiate. Fantastic. If you're joining us and, and you have any questions for Anne, please feel free to type your questions into the chat box and I'll take a few of those and, uh, and ask her directly. Um, Anne, I want to talk about you going off on maternity and, and, and coming back to a promotion. That is quite extraordinary because uh, a lot of women go off <laughs> maternity and are like me, never go back because we choose to opt out. <laughs> Uh, or others grow up on maternity and come back having lost confidence and feeling they had to start all over again. What, what would you what would you say you did differently um, before going on maternity, having the baby and coming back? Well, it was interesting because before I went on maternity leave, sorry, there's a little fly here. <laughs> uh, before I went on maternity leave, my office hasn't had enough use. I um. I was in a sales role um, for Citibank, and so I was on the road more or less five days a week all over Europe. And um, and uh, it was uh, I was uh, I was quite late having my daughter. I was thirty seven, and I'd been married since I was nineteen. So I mean, wow. <laughs> it was a long time. And um, and in any case, I you know I realised that the role I I was in wasn't suited to being a mom. You know, I needed more of an office-based job in London. That's what, you know, I felt sure that I needed. So I actually was quite clear to my boss before I left, you know, that's what I need. I need an office-based job, Bill, you know. Um, and he agreed. He agreed. I actually worked till two days before I had Sophie. <laughs> People were saying to me when I got into the elevator, don't get into the elevator with us. You might give birth. You know, this is like really scary <laughs> um and uh and, uh, anyway and then i went off on maternity leave and i was uh, supposed to be off for about 15 weeks um i only got paid for six uh that was the rule at the time and then after that you got 59 pounds from the government and my husband is a school teacher so i was the main breadwinner i i paid the mortgage and uh but I'd had a cesarean, so I felt I needed the full time off. Yes, but yeah. at about 11 weeks, um, Bill, my boss, rang me up and said, when are you back here? And I said, well, another four weeks or something. And he said, no, 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 you need to come in next week. I really need you now. And uh, and I, I've got a great job for you to come home to. And, and it's promotion. You know, you're going to do the job above you yeah. and your job is going to report into it. Um, that's how he solved the problem of me coming back from maternity leave. So, um, and I actually at the time, and you asked me about imposter syndrome, you know, I said to Bill, are you serious, Bill? You think that I can do this? You know, I've just had a baby. He said, of course you can do it. It hasn't affected your brain, has it? You know, and he said, you're the one who worked until two days beforehand. I'm utterly convinced you can do it. And I think it's really having that kind of very supportive, environment and boss yes. sometimes people yes. think that a big bank like Citibank wouldn't be like that but I think it depends unfortunately it probably depends on the person but you want many more people in the environment like that to create that level of welcome yes. you know back to your career um, and of course I started again and I loved it yeah, and I thought it was great, and I I left at six o'clock in the evening. I was home by seven at night, and um, and you know, I, my work life balance felt good to me. 
you're still married and you still have a child, so that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's 27 now, and I'll be I'll be married 45 years this oh, year. Brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. It takes a very special man to be married to a very strong woman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, my listen, my my uh, you know my work life's busy enough. I mean, I think continuity in my um <laughs> in my personal life is a really nice way to live. I've changed jobs and countries yes. and continents lots of times. So one of the things I always hear from some of our members is the challenge around the politics in organizations. So you've just talked about having a brilliant boss who called you whilst you were on maternity and, and offered you a better paying job and more responsibility. And some people find themselves in situations where they don't have that, that, that relationship with your bosses. And the hierarchy of the organization is always is such that they, they are not allowed to reach out to, to their boss's boss if their boss wasn't performing. So how would you approach situations like that where, where the culture is such that it's so limited and you could, you could see a fantastic leader you would love to work with, but the politics of the organization, the culture just doesn't allow you to, to reach out. This is a really very real problem, absolutely real problem. And this is where I would say um, mentorship schemes and sponsorships work really well. Yeah, you don't want to go around your boss to your boss's boss um, because, you know, that's just that's breaking your your line. But mm -hmm. if you know somebody else very senior in another part of the organization who can speak on your behalf, mm -hmm. I think that is a really good thing to have and to do. Um, and so, you know, finding yourself a sponsor who's not in your direct business line can be really important or a mentor. And those two things are very different. I mean, I, I think I'm a better sponsor than a mentor. You know, I do do I do mentor people, but that takes, you know, a lot of time building the relationship. Yes. Whereas sponsors are often people you know already. Um, and I, I sponsor lots of people, men and women across my own organization and into other organizations. And I think particularly with women, it's lovely to have that. I mean, I know women in my own organization who've been working on one continent, say Asia, and being offered a job in North America and, you know, rung me up and said, um, I'd love this job. And I've said, well, take it. And they said, well, the thing is, you know, I, I, I've just got pregnant and I wonder what to do. And I've said, well, take it. <laughs> you know? um, I, I, you know, I think sometimes you need to have people tell you this. Yeah. And, and, you know, my thing about things like maternity, if I look at my 12 weeks off, uh, in my entire 40 years of work I mean it's you know what is it quarter of a day a year or no just yeah. under, just over a quarter of a day a year or something like that <laughs> I don't know quarter so, of a week <laughs> yeah. there's a question here from Michaela so what does what do you wish you know now that you're known at the very start of your career I you know I I think it's really that life's a marathon, not a sprint. And yeah. when I was younger, you know, I would love, I, I always wanted to sort of look older so that, you know, I could, I could, you know, come across as a mature, experienced person. And, you know, now I'm older, of course, I'd love to look younger. <laughs> it's, it's all of this kind of thing. And I would say, don't, you know, don't, um, 
don't rush things. Um, uh, it's very hard to make mistakes when you're younger because you can always change tack. And, and people now expect you to change careers quite a lot. I mean, I was unusual doing it at my age and stage, but actually it's the norm now. And so there's never anything irrevocable that you're doing. You know, relax about it and, 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 you know, rejoin things. I, you know, I, I think if you, if you decided, say, that you were going to have time off to look after your kids when they were younger, return to work in your 40s, you've probably got another 25 years of work. Yeah. You know, why not? Um, and have a great career. Interestingly, Jane Fraser, who's now the um, CEO of Citibank, she actually went part-time when her kids were little. So there you have, you know, the biggest bank CEO on Wall Street did that. So just have confidence in yourself. If you're really good at something and, you know, you add value, you're going to get good jobs. So, so Anne, there's a, another question here from Anne, Hannah, and she's wondering how you keep learning and improving yourself because you, you, you are clearly, <laughs> you're clearly still in the game. And I, I don't want to say switched on, but you're, you're playing at a different level. So how do you maintain that? Well, it's back to this thing about, you know, people around you know a lot more than you. Um, you have to be open to learning things. I mean, I'm constantly learning new platforms. <laughs> and um, uh, it's, uh, it's quite interesting because actually I think the learning experience has increased since I've been stuck at home. Yeah. Uh, without any support around me, I've had to learn things that, you know, people have helped me with in the office. And, and it stops you being lazy, really. I think reading is really important. Uh, I think reading things like The Economist, reading the daily newspapers, reading books. I'm not a big fan of business books, by the way. I quite like literature because I think literature writes about real life and, uh, and listening to things constantly. I mean, lots of podcasts, listening to what other people have to say and valuing what they say. I think it's a really interesting time because we're moving into artificial intelligence yes, and 5G yeah. and, you know, thinking what, about what the world will bring tomorrow. Yes. Um, and I personally like to sort of keep my skills at a certain level because I don't want to fall behind. I, yes. I want to be able to communicate with people and I find it interesting. So I think if you think like that, you keep yourself going. I know my mother's partner is 89. And he uses his Apple computer. He uses his iPhone. And he was a he was a coal miner. He was sent down the pits when he was 16 years old. Here is an 89 year old guy who can you know who can go online, who can text, who can do emails, <laughs> who can you know use his um, iPhone to take pictures and send them to you. And you know, wow. why not? Yeah. So, but. but it's so it's 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 so refreshing listening to you as well. I could I could spend a whole day talking to you, Anne. But the, there's a flip side to the constant search for knowledge because some people turn that into they procrastinate on that. I just need to do my MBA and then I'll be ready to apply for that job. I just need to do this other course and then I'll be able to do that. And then for others, it's just all the all the content available. Where do I start? So. Do you ever find yourself struggling with that? Struggling with procrastination? I don't actually. <laughs> I'm like one of these people who just loves doing things. It's almost the opposite. I struggle with 
just doing things all the time, which makes you feel busy and might not be the best thing to do. Uh, You know, I struggle with making myself step back and say, stop doing things for a minute and just think about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to get things out of the way for sure. And I've, I've always been like that. Now, I was different when I was sitting exams. I didn't particularly like revising. So I would be the kind of person who would wait till the last minute to kind of cram. But I've got this sort of mind that if I read something, I can hold it in my mind for a short period of time. (laughs) So it's no good asking me to look at a speech a week ahead or even a couple of days ahead. Show me the speech like about two hours ahead and I'll be able to use it. That's, but I think everybody has to, um, work with their own mind. You know, what yeah. works best for you? You, you know, I mean, it's like listening to your body. Your body tells yeah. you don't yeah. eat, don't yeah. eat certain things and you know that, but you still eat them. But you know, it's, um, <laughs> it's listening to yourself. It's interesting you say that because I'm also a last minute person. Uh, I, I could be in a burning house and just be singing and, and you, you know, just show up and do a speech and all that. But I actually had some mentoring and I was advised to do the opposite so that I could be a bit more prepared and a bit more polished. <laughs> and, and so, but I found that the more I did that, the more anxious I got because my natural strength is to just look at things in a, a moment before I need to do it. And then my brain kicks in because the deadline and the cortisol and all that just gets me really functioning. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad yeah. you said that because, you know, yeah, you it gets the adrenaline going, doesn't it? It definitely yeah. Yeah. gets yeah. the adrenaline going. And, and it causes you to, you know, connect things very quickly in your mind. But I think, and, and as you get older, of course, you know, your brain isn't as um, well. It doesn't connect things as well, and it's harder to remember things. I have a real trouble with nouns. Numbers, I can remember, no problem. Um, but, you know, probably because I'm a mathematician, but nouns, um, even people's names, quite hard. Yeah. So, um, but I've been like that all my life. It's just that I notice it more, um, you know, it's harder. It gets yeah. harder. So there's a question from Latanya. Latanya is also a brilliant leader. And she said, as a leader, what tips do you have for identifying future leaders and then getting them on track to become you almost? Um, That's succession planning. I know you're doing some sponsoring. Well, I think when you're identifying future leaders, first of all, you have to sort of cast, you know, cast your net wide. I mean, you should give everybody, you know, uh, we're, we're constantly thinking of programs here that give, as broader scope so that people can opt in and say, I want to do this. I want to be like this, or I want to learn, you know, how to progress my career rather than individually going, picking people out Mm -hmm. that you like the look of. uh, I think because sometimes when you do the latter, you miss really talented people because, you know, you just haven't thought of them in that way. So I, I think that, it's very important in industry, um, well, in any walk of life, um, to create things that are allowing equal opportunity for people. And then it's up to people to grab that opportunity. And, and then I think everybody is different. So you don't want to create another you. What you want to create is probably somebody much better than you. Yeah. Uh, but somebody who, you know, really 
has found what they want to do and actually excels at it. And you have to love what you want to do because, you know, it's a huge part of your life. And I think so many people come to work and it isn't what they want to do, which is really sad. And and if you're in that situation, and I, I believe a lot of people are, then I think you all, you know, you have to think about what else you've got in your life that's really interesting to you. And it might not be the thing that you're going to make money from to sustain yourself, if you see what I mean. Yes. But it might be something that um, that helps you develop, that makes you better. And um, I think that's really important. I know people that um, are, are great at what they do, but also have lots of other strings to their bow. You know, um, uh, I'm thinking of somebody who's a, a customer of ours who is the CEO of a financial business, but she also loves opera singing. And so she's in this Gilbert and Sullivan company and she actually performs on stage and things like yeah. this, you know, not professionally, of course, because she's the CEO of this finance company. But why not? Why not have this? I think, you know, you should do all of these things that you love. So I'm just listening to you. You show up so happy. You're laughing. I think I, re I read an article that you could be spotted by the, the, your laughter, um, no matter where you were. And, and you, you just show up so authentic and so positive. And I have a thing about routines and I'm wondering how people show up the way they show up every single day. Uh, without banner. So can you share with us what your, your daily routine is if you if you do have a special way of, of going about things? Well, I, you know, I just think that you should be you no matter what circumstances you're in. I don't think there's a work you and a home you and, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's an intellectual you and a physical you. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're the uh, sum of all of your life experiences and um and I, I i think that constantly choosing paths for things that you love makes you happy you yeah. know and, and by the way i don't think that you can be happy all the time because i think um <laughs> i think i you know i i think that life you know one of the great things in life is contrast so yeah. you know having times that that tell you that you're not happy and then other times that you're happy show how happy you are when you are you know yes um and uh and i think but i think being self-aware is really being self-aware yeah. and saying that's what makes me happy that's what makes mm -hmm. me tick um uh, i've been down at my house in the country for um for bank holiday and you know i got up this morning and i thought oh great i'm getting on the train to come to london now at times in the past you know i've sort of had to commute to London every day and gone, oh God, I'm getting on the train to, you know, so, so even the circumstances of the thing you're doing are changing around you and it makes you feel different about it. So I think enjoying the differences in life yeah. are important and learning new things and learning new things Does and doing things when they, you know, you're physically capable of doing them. I used to run when I, I can't run now for various reasons, um, but I sail and I just started um, taking up golf and I do a lot of walking and I swim and I do things that I find that my body enjoys doing now. Whereas when I was younger, um, I was much, um, much fitter and did completely different skiing and 
running and, um, you know, I was a badminton champion. And, um, and so just doing the things that feel right for your body at the, the right time of life is really important as well. I think that's giving it a little treat, advice. you know. Yes, yeah. I think that's fantastic advice because we go through different phases, isn't it? I just turned forty, and uh, I think something just started going wrong with my body immediately. I turned forty, Um some of them I cannot <laughs> share publicly, <laughs> but it's been a bit of a shock. My eyesight went, and then yeah, my some bits just weren't operating very well. So I'm, I'm getting all of that checked. But it made me realize that the things that I took for granted in my 30s, I really now need to work really hard to maintain. And so, Anne, what time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? Uh, how many breaks do you have in a day? How do you structure your working day? I'm a big sleeper. <laughs> I love sleep. And, and I think one of the reasons why I could travel around the world so easily was that I can fall asleep at the drop of a hat on a plane and I can right. get off the plane and I can go to work, you know, in China or in a different time zone, no problem. Because, you know, I get my eight hours wherever I am, basically. And I can, you know, I can nap in the afternoon and then, you know, I can I can go to sleep at night time. I, um, yeah, so if I'm, if I'm home, I'm usually in bed by 11 o'clock and then I can, uh, you know, I wake up just after seven, something like that. And sometimes I wake up earlier because, you know, it's a lovely sunny day and I get up and I walk uh, Bessie. But other times I, you know, I, I, I sleep later. I, I tend to sort of, my body seems to regulate very well. So if I'm up till midnight, I just sleep till eight o'clock, mm-hmm. you know. So I think getting the amount of rest you need is just really important. I'm certainly not the Maggie Thatcher type. I'm not a five hours a night person or or anything like that no way no way and by the way 40 you're an absolute baby (laughs) thank you for saying that i'm beginning to see the gray here i'm thinking how am i feeling about that (laughs) so so, and there's one last question before we go on to your book recommendation like you said i'm enjoying talking to you so much i've probably taken a lot more of your time than i should so please forgive me so people listening to this would be thinking you are absolutely amazing like you make everything look so easy you've achieved so much but i'm sure there have been times when you faced your own personal failure or challenges can you talk us through one such moment and how you managed to pick yourself from that so that the people on the call can know that actually she's she's pretty normal she's just like us (laughs) oh yeah absolutely and then you know i've had lots of times when i you know have been challenged and things haven't worked out the way that i wanted and one time when i was um at citibank and i was the number two globally in the payment business and i thought i was going to get the job when my boss moved that didn't happen even though they told me for about four years it would happen and and they put someone else in the job and i actually suddenly thought to myself oh my god you know they put someone in my job and i've been waiting around here um i've been four years in what i considered was a number two position and that often happens that often happens and then to add insult to injury i then decided i would move to a different part of the bank and i was told oh you can't move because the guy who put in your job doesn't know how to do it yet so you're gonna have to teach him (laughs) so i thought 
really, you know, really. So, so what happened then was um, after a few weeks, I got a call from a headhunter to join the Dutch bank, ABN AMRO. Yeah. And that's when I took the call. You know, you get calls from headhunters all your life when you start to become a senior person. But often you don't respond to the call or yeah. you answer politely, but you say no. But sometimes something happens in your life, you just say yes. And actually, I was very pleased with that move. It opened new horizons for me. I, I loved it. I moved to Holland. I moved to, back to Chicago. I moved to oh. London. Just changed the trajectory that I was on mm. and uh, introduced me to a whole new group of people. And um, I was pleased I made the move. So I think that, you know, my my comment on that, and you might have heard me say it, is don't be a lady in waiting. Yes. That's that number two position. You know, oh, great. You know, you can stay in that. and You can teach this guy how to be successful. <laughs> it's always a guy. Uh, yeah. So, you know, don't let anybody do that to you longer term and decide what you want and go for it. You know, the next opportunity that comes along, take it. Jump. Because maybe that's what life's telling you you need to do. Gosh. And on that note, and thank you so, so much. Do you have a book <laughs> that recommend we read before we go? Any book at all you've enjoyed? Oh, books. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Hundreds of books I love. I like, I, I like thinking of the future. And so I like Homer Deus, which is the... Sequel to Sapiens um, yes. by um, Yuval, um, and I think it really makes you think because I think that we are going to be given the opportunity to enhance ourselves. We already are today. It's going to be very hard for us to step back from that, and it's quite thought-provoking. This book to think about what the future could bring. And I want to be you. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely want to be. It's been an absolute pleasure. So refreshing. So honest. That's exactly what we need to be hearing. And there aren't enough women like yourself sharing their journeys as well out there. So thank you so much for making time for us. And for everybody else joining us on the call, thank you for hanging in there. It's been 15 minutes and not a single person is left. So that shows just how much they've enjoyed the conversation. If you're not already a member of Forward Ladies, I would encourage you to go to our website now. We have a free 14-day free trial offer open. We would love to see you as part of the membership. Uh, we have a platform that enables you to connect with mentors and to find sponsors. We have virtual meetups every month and we have conversations like, like this with people like Anne to inspire us because sometimes that's what you need every single day. So thank you so much for joining us. You can find Anne on LinkedIn and on Twitter and, and show her some love. Please go and connect with her and tell her just how amazing she, she, she is so she can keep sharing her love with all of us. So thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you too. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank Please you. come back thank again. You. Please come back again. I'll keep asking. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.